They're exploiting weaknesses in our behavioral psychology and neurology to, to teach us to make decisions that are most profitable for them, but often harmful to us and certainly against our God-given purpose. Welcome to the Know Why Podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. Today, we're launching a new series, Know About Healthy Tech Habits. Technology pervades our lives from smartphones and social media to what we do at work and our entertainment at home. Even artificial intelligence is quickly becoming more pervasive in everyday life. Why are the habits we form with technology so crucial? And how can we form better ones? We'll be dealing with all that and more in this series, and we've got some excellent guests you'll benefit from listening to. Whether you're a college student, a parent of young children, a professional thinking about how AI may impact your work, or simply a person who uses technology, and I think that's all of us, you'll want to hear every episode in this series. Are you ready to know why? Let's get started. Welcome to the Know Why Podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. Today, we have a really important topic to cover and a fascinating guest you are going to want to listen up. We have Doug Smith. Specifically, we're talking about his book, Unintentional, How Screens Secretly Shape Your Desires and How You Can Break Free. Um, I'm holding a copy right now. I've been reading it. It's great. So Doug, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Liberty. Uh, Doug, you um, have the insider's perspective because as you uh, have in your bio, you um, actually have worked in software development for over two decades. Um, and so you kind of know the inside scoop on all the things that you're talking about in, the, in this book. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I come at it from a little bit of a different perspective than some of the other books that come at it from maybe more of a a psychological or a pastoral uh, view. I do come at it from a technology view and someone who's, you know, been, been involved with technology. So I, I like it. I mean, from a fundamental standpoint, but then as I see, I've seen the impact it's had on us over the last, you know, 10, 20 years and also coming at it as a dad and, uh, and a, a Bible student, you know, all these things intersect and give me uh, a, a pretty unique perspective, I think. Yes, I, I agree. So um, I want to jump in with something that you say towards the beginning of the book. Um, this is quoting Jesus uh, in the Bible who said, we can know a tree by its fruit. And even if you're not a Christian, because I know we've got listeners of, of various types of belief who listen to the podcast, which is great. I think we can all agree with that analogy. Um, and so what is the fruit of screen immersion, specifically thanks to the fact that smartphones are ubiquitous now? They're all over the place. They are all over the place. They're the most successful product of all times. And, um, and yeah, so Jesus said, how do you know if something's good? Well, how do you know if a tree is good? You know it's good if it produces good fruit. So, so if I were to say, um, you know, gosh, most people after spending some time on social media and video games or watching streaming media for a while, wow, you know, they're some of the most peaceful and joyful and kind and loving people you'd ever want to meet. They're really about their purpose. They're, um, they're generous, you know, everybody'd be laughing right now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because because we obviously know that people who spend a lot of time on social media and and all these consuming the um the super popular entertainment media of our day, which the stats are like eight, nine, ten plus hours per day of of consumption of these media, we know the opposite is true. We know that 
um, first of all, they feel we feel compelled to spend as much time as possible because the devices, specifically these apps, are designed to be addictive. They're designed to exploit fear of missing out. So we're not sleeping well. We're not, we're anxious. We're depressed. Suicidality is at a all time high. Mm. Um, and and these are all just heartbreaking bad fruit when you look at what's what's it driving us to become, and especially. The, the younger, the younger and younger. I mean, it's affecting all generations, but the younger people, especially, it's 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 hurting us. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things that really broke my heart was the was the idea that we're even losing our ability to think for ourselves because we're so constantly involved. We feel this twinge of boredom, waiting in line, stuck in traffic, feeding a baby. We pick up our phone, mm-hmm. and we we can't be at peace with ourselves. We are compelled to be distracted. And so I, I call out a few things in my book, which you've seen, you know, the idea, the, un, the uncivil discourse that is just famous, right? The mocking that's famous. Mm-hmm. Sexualization is rampant. Mm-hmm. Loss of ability to think deeply. All these things are, are bad fruit from what we're seeing from ubiquitous screens. Right. Yeah, very true. And speaking of that, you know, point you made about not being able to think for ourselves, that is sad and it's frightening. Um, so a message that my generation um, has received and those younger, you know, very cultural right now is be true to yourself. And so theologically and philosophically, we can come at that with all kinds of different opinions, but just kind of keeping it, you know, interpreting that simply to be yourself um, this is even being affected by screens because we don't know who we are. You talk about this in your book, like if um, screens are shaping our desires and we're not even thinking for ourselves and we're allowing our screen time to shape our thoughts, then how can we be true to ourselves? How can we even know what our identity is? Oh, it's a wonderful question, Liberty. That's absolutely true. Um, I, yeah, in my book, I call this a double bind because it's like a one-two punch. On on one hand, we're told, right, follow your heart, go with your gut, be true to yourself, which sounds really great until you realize that we're being programmed eight to 10 hours a day to decide by, by media that's, that I say is discipling us mm. to become the kind of people whose hearts and guts and selves are only filled with a menu of possibilities that the platforms present for us. So ourselves... The, the, what we want to become is 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 shaped. Sure, we 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 think we're being true to ourselves, but the again, how we how we discover that and is can only be filled by how we spend our time. Um, and, the, and the concept you mentioned, identity, it's such an important idea because we're seeking that. And the the world that we have, where the highest form of cultural expression really seems to be these immersive and addictive entertainments that we're, but where we're called to be almost actors or performers in and discover or um, create our identity, right? Even um, the idea that, uh, you know, people have personas online that we craft very carefully with, and some people even have anonymous ones, you know, or mm-hmm. multiple personalities on, we construct our identity, we act our identity um, and that's that's really what we're driven to. But in the in the biblical world, and again, um, speaking you know as broadly as a Christian, but this affects everybody. But a, a biblical worldview is more about being an identity is revealed. It's it's given to us. It's a gift from God. We're we're children of God, and and so we're we're to discover that and accept it and practice it, not create it or construct it. And um, when we're told, we kind of disconnect from our God given identity. 
and then we're re-implanted with this identity generating machine that we carry around in our pocket all the time. Um, we end up thinking that we're constructing a unique identity when we're just again constructing an identity that's been formed for us mm-hmm. and tends to lead us to a bad end. Wow. And kind of, you know, continuing that thought, screens are creating our identity for us, but they're also taking away our autonomy, our free will. Um, that's something you say in your book. So can you explain how that's happening? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, you know, I, I do believe we have genuine free will. There's, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but some, especially atheists will even claim that free will is an illusion. Um, but even that very idea requires free will to evaluate it. So that's a self-contradictory statement. We have the, we have the ability to genuinely make choices. However, that the key there is how do we, what do we base those decisions on? What do, how do we make our choices? And we make those choices by what we want, by our desires. And so mm-hmm. if you want to control what people decide to do, if you can shape their desires, that's hugely powerful. So habitual screen time is what's teaching us to make decisions based on how we feel at the moment, not really based on wisdom or careful consideration, which you would like to think about. So we're trained to react. We're trained to be impulsive. And to think that that's the real us, back to your previous question, the authentic us uh, is just this, this person. So Seth Godin calls uh, the, the smartphone a Pavlovian box. The idea of, of, of you know, Pavlov's dog, um, because we're, tri- we're triggered by, um, by the things they've taught us to do, shaping our desires so that we use our free will to act on the desires they put into us. Mm-hmm. They're exploiting weaknesses in our behavioral psychology and neurology to, to teach us to make decisions that are most profitable for them, but often harmful to us and certainly against our God-given purpose. Mm, yeah. Well, that's really sobering when you think about that because, you know, how many of us just out of habit, like you said, habitual screen time, uh, whenever we're tired or, you know, bored, like you said, or just sitting there and we don't have anything to do at the moment. So instead of, you know, entertaining ourselves with our own thoughts, we just pick up our phone and we don't realize what that is taking away from us. Um, And maybe it's even making us weaker or creating a, a duller life, so to speak. So in chapter two of your book, you talk about, I mean, you have a part called the path of least resistance. And I think this, um, a lot of people can relate to this because we've all binge watched, you know, a show on Netflix or some other streaming mm-hmm. service. And it makes it so nice and easy when you're tired from a long day, it'll just automatically play the next episode. And um, it even gives you a little button to skip the credits and just, you know, skip the music and all that and just get right back into it. And we just binge and binge and binge. Um, and it's like sometimes when, cause yes, I'm admitting that I do this sometimes. And I think back to being a kid when like once a week, a show that was 30 minutes or an hour would come on and I'd like watch it, you know, on my lunch break or something. And I'm like, how did I do that? <laughs> Watching mm-hmm. one episode at a time. Um, but you say like, that's an example of kind of forming this path of least resistance to where we don't even have to make a decision to watch another TV episode. It just does it for us. So like, what are the ramifications ramifications of that? Yeah, that's also so very insightful. The um, the path of least resistance really is refers to one of the many techniques I talk about in my, in my book where developers and um, manufacturers of this technology may intentionally make their products so easy 
for us to do what they want us to do. The path of least resistance is the path they want us to take. <clears throat> and so, you know, the reason you mentioned earlier, the reason we we're, if we're bored, we pick up our phone is because they've, they've developed those habits within us and made it super easy to do that. The phones turn on really quickly. The apps load super quickly. They're automatically going to the first thing they want us to be doing. And Netflix, you know, pioneered this idea of autoplay. And, uh, and they even added a new feature recently called play something. So you don't even have to decide the show you oh, want. Wow. Just like play whatever based mm-hmm. on, you know, all the things you know about me, which is a ton. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so why does relax? equal Netflix or Instagram or Call of Duty, you know, why doesn't relax mean uh, peace and quiet or good book or prayer or a good night's sleep, mm-hmm. you know, because our desires have been shaped and, and they're designed on purpose. So we're all doing this, not because we really, you know, when we were kids, we all decided, Hey, you know, when I'm, when I'm grown up, I want to spend the best years and hours of my life giving my personal data to the best to the biggest corporations in the planet, right? Yeah. We, did, we, didn't, we didn't design it, but, but they decided to create products that do that to us. Mm. And so, so you're right. It has this dulling effect. It's as if we were always ate junk food all the time. You know, it's, it's junk food for the brain. And our brains then quickly become trained to seek quick pleasure uh, and really to be addicted to it because they, they've exploited the pleasure cycles in our brain. We've heard a lot about this neurochemical dopamine, mm-hmm. uh, which is our pleasure sensing chemicals and more less like, and so we get used to feeling this level of pleasure that's not natural. And that's where addiction comes from. And it only comes then from the screen and then other normal things like sitting and quietly doing nothing or, or reading a good book, just don't give us the same kick like they used to, because we're used to, you know, the entertainment screens. And again, they're, they're designed to be that way on purpose. Yeah. And I think you, it was something that I read in your book um, saying that uh, Netflix said that their main competitor is sleep. Um, right. <laughs> so their, their goal is to get you to sleep less, uh, which, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I guess that does make sense because we've all probably watched something too late into the night. But then when you mm-hmm. really like say it like that, then it's like, oh my gosh, like they don't have my best interest. Why am I letting them control so much of my life? Right, right. And, and, it, and it does come back to the desire shaping. We think we want to. We think, oh, man, it'd be really cool to watch one more episode. And, and, but, but that desire has shaped us. It's been, we've, that's become the only option because that's how they presented it to us. And so, right, their goal is to have us, engagement is the key word. Mm. We, we are to stay, the more we're engaged, the more profitable we are to them. And that's with all the platforms. Yeah, and I thought. Um, that, are, that are built on that, that economy, the attention economy. Yes. Uh, it's a quote I wanted to read from your book that just really struck me. They, meaning, you know, these corporations, um, these tech giants, so to speak, they seem to find our time and attention more valuable than we do since we are often so mm. unintentional with both. So right. I think that's like a, a soul searching question for us to ask ourselves, like, how much do I value my own time? Like, do I value it more than another corporation does? Um, that just really struck me. Mm-hmm. That was For good. Sure. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to, I won't say play devil's advocate, but I do have a little bit of a background in marketing. And so um, I'm also a writer. And so I love stories. And you give this example in your book. Um, you talk a lot about how we are being manipulated uh, by screens. And, you know, I completely 
um, agree with that. But one example you give is like this really evocative and emotional ad that was promoting a car. But it tells this emotional story about a family. And then by you know the end of the minute, it's like, I want that car. And uh, you've been manipulated. But I mean, is there a line between just good marketing that like tells a story and promotes something versus manipulation? Or do you just see it all as manipulation? Mm, that's such a good question. Thank you. Thanks for asking that. Yeah. Well, well, so we're built to care deeply about stories, right? I mean, we're, our lives are a story within the grand story of history, and the Bible's full of stories. Jesus constantly used stories to teach because stories are so powerful and memorable and easy to share. So stories are great. Uh, and marketing is super powerful. So as you know, those who work in that field, it's almost like they wield a ring of power over over us, right, mm-hmm. in a way. And that's, a, of course, a reference to a big story, right? Um, so, so um, generally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't prod, I wouldn't paint it all with the same brush. So I wouldn't say it's all trying to manipulate us, but I'd say generally, like the example there, marketing stories like that one are designed not to tell us scientific details about a product to make a wise decision. Like mm. that, that video isn't saying, "Hey, this car gets this miles per gallon, and and you know it'll it'll protect your kids in this way, and la la la." It, it's saying. Wow, you'll feel this way. You're this kind of person living this kind of a life if you love our brand and our product. Mm. And so they're much more designed to teach or even disciple us into becoming the kind of people that love their products. Mm. So, so what I would say as far as a line, like for those of us, you know, especially who want to have integrity in marketing and sales and, and use it ethically, I think we need to understand that the line is, I would say, defined by the golden rule. We'd want to do to others as you'd want them to do to you. So, so like if if your if the, if readers or the viewers knew what you were trying to get them to do and how you were going about it, would they be happy about it? Mm. Like, would would you want this to work on yourself or your family uh, in the same way? And so, you know, this is good for them, is it? Is it is it really? And um, if this if this kind of follows to its logical extension, does it ultimately lead to the good of those people? Is it for their highest good? Mm-hmm. Um, for that car may or may not be, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but you know, for, for other messages, sure. We want, we, we want to tell stories and, and motivate people and teach people to do good things and stories often do that. And so, yeah, I'm definitely not against teaching stories to, to lead people to good ends. It's, but, but broadly speaking, you know, when you think about Madison Avenue, Silicon Valley, um, the power of their, of their marketing, they spend billions of dollars in marketing, um, the advertising, you know, Meta and Google are essentially ad companies and, and they're, they make, you know, hundreds, you know, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars as a result. Why? Because it works mm-hmm. and, and it works by exploiting us mm-hmm. by and large. So, so yeah, that, that line is, is difficult, but it's an important question to ask. Yeah. Well, thank you for your insight on that. And I really like how you talked about implying the, or, or utilizing the golden rule, um, you know, asking would I want this to be done to me? Am I, is this mm-hmm. just, you know, good ethical marketing, letting people know some facts about a product they might be interested in, or is it manipulative? And kind of on that note, you also talk in your book about how so many of the inventors and creators of the technology we use today, they seem to not want that done to themselves or to their families um, because they are kind of regretting it or even when they were creating it, they would like not let their children use the products that they were creating, which seems to say a lot. So could you tell us a, a 
bit more about that or give us some examples? Sure. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. The biggest one that stands out to me is that Steve Jobs' kids did not have an iPad. They did not. They did not use the iPad. You know, let that sink in to all the parents who, who, who were sold an iPad by Apple hmm. with the idea that, oh, it has parental controls. Steve Jobs didn't care about parental controls. His kids didn't use the iPad. Mm. Bill Gates's family um, minimized or were late adopters of smartphones uh, for their kids. Uh, many Silicon Valley execs send their kids to tech-free schools. Um, mm. You know, while all the while selling, you know, one child per one laptop per child programs to every other school and wow. um, making all this money so they can afford to you know spend whatever. $10,000 a month on tuition to these Silicon Valley tech-free schools, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's um, so Adam Alter in the book, Irresistible, that I quote a lot in my book, he says, they abide by the cardinal rule of drug dealing. Don't get high on your own supply. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing. Um, and it, and I, I think it's unconscionable. I think it's just something that we need to be aware of that um, when we're weighing out as parents, you know, what should I give my kids? Um, we might take a cue from the people that are making tons of money by selling stuff to our kids and, yeah. and what they're doing with their kids. And, uh, and, or, or, and like I quote in some of my books, you know, the, the 20 somethings that were developing the power, you know, developing Instagram or the most powerful technology we see today when they become 30 somethings and start having kids and they're seeing what their kids are, what are their kids as friends, how it's affecting them. Maybe they didn't even mean to, but they see the effect and they're like, Oh no, what have we done? And there are a lot of quotes, that you can find about kind mm-hmm. of some regret in the, in the, uh, <clears throat> in the industry that way too. Yeah. And I think that's relevant for a lot of our listeners, you know, um, some are getting their family started, but we may have a lot of listeners as well who don't have a family yet. And that's something to think about as well as just the habits that you form. Uh, Cause I remember when I became a mom, um, and I, I grew up, my childhood was smartphone free. So I had the internet, but I didn't have smartphones until, you know, late high school, going to college, um, I got a Blackberry first and, you know, so I, but quickly developed habits dependent on a smartphone. And I remember when I had my first child, I was like, I'm going to definitely limit screen time. I'm going to limit my own screen time because I don't, like you said earlier, I don't want to be feeding my baby while just staring at my phone. Um, and oh my goodness, it's, it's not a switch that you just turn off. Um, it is a lot harder. You have to be really intentional, um, with that. And so that's still, you know, something that we're thinking about as a family all the time is just not helping, not just helping our kids create good habits with technology, but having those good habits ourselves. Cause it's really hard to tell your kids to have good habits or limit their screen time or whatever, if you're not even doing it. Um, yourself. So that kind of leads me to my next question too. In the latter half of your book, like you set it up really well of like, okay, here's the problem. Here's what we're, you know, a lot of people are unaware of how this is affecting them. Okay. But now what do we do about it? Um, And so you talk about creating new habits and how we can break free if we are addicted to screens and technologies. But you say we need the absolute determination that comes from a clear and positive vision in order to live the lives we are called by God to live. And so I love that quote, but I just wanted to get your take on what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really important. We, we were all living in this technology saturated world and, um, and it can feel overwhelming. Like, um, so, so that was why I spent the vast majority of my book 
helping people become intentional and finding a way to walk in freedom in a screen saturated world. And it's a, I mean, it's a Christian book and I'm a Christian. And so that really the only story I have to tell is the Christian story that has helped me and the others that I have taught and mentored and, and coached over the years that has worked. And, and so, so my story, you know, as a Christian, I have to understand my ultimate allegiance is to Christ and he is the King and I'm his beloved child. And so I'm under his authority. So my first goal is to seek God and his vision for mm-hmm. my life. And so getting that clarity around that vision is what drives us. I often say, um, we don't, so, so often the conversation around technology is about, no, 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 you know, don't do this, don't do that. But it's from what I like to say is we need to have a better yes so that we're, um, so that we're willing to say no. You know, I, I think I say, I say in my book that, you know, a, a bride in her wedding dress doesn't get grumpy that she can't go play in the mud right now Mm. because she's getting married and she doesn't want to go play in the mud or whatever else. Right. She's, she doesn't feel limited. She has a better yes there. Mm. So um, that's what we need to, we need to have this vision that's so clear and powerful um, that, that we're willing to live differently, not out of deprivation, not like, Oh man, I'm missing out on all this cool stuff. Everybody else does, but no, I'm here for a different thing. I'm here as a child of God and I'm here so then, so then I talk about this idea of complete surrender to Christ, and that, that really forms the role that technology should fit in my life. It's not the context of, of like balance, which is a whole other conversation that I, I don't really like that word, but it's a, it's a, I, I much more approach it from this idea of surrender, um, but, but in the context, again, of the vision that God has given me. Um, and I also talk in the book about this idea of spiritual warfare, which is a which is an uncomfortable subject to a lot of people and especially, you know, kind of seems woo-woo to non-Christians, right? But I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about the fact that there's a war for our hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. And um, we can see that. We can see it in the bad fruit we talked about at the beginning there. Um, the Bible talks about an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And there's a lot of stealing, killing, and destroying happening as a result of what we're doing on our screens. And so we shouldn't, be ex- we shouldn't expect to be able to just go along and use technology like everybody else does. I mean, we're spending eight hours a day or even three hours or even an hour a day, is that not a discipleship mm. really of some, you know, in a way as, especially if you compare it to other time we might be spending with much more important things that are building us up towards our vision, spending time with God, with our families, with, with others and doing the important spiritual practices that we know we need to be doing. So, so all of that again is in the context of having this vision of who we are, our identity and what we're here for. And that makes it a lot easier to put technology in its place. Yeah, so good. And something that um, I was just looking up, actually, 34% of 13 to 39-year-olds, so that's kind of Gen Z and millennials, um, who we most often focus on here at the Know Why podcast. Um, So 34% would call themselves spiritual. So, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I like the fact that you highlighted that because I think so many of us are spiritual. We acknowledge that there is, um, you know, something else out there higher than ourselves. And so, you know, as a Christian myself as well, I'd love that you highlight that in your book because this is a very um, relevant book and it's very practical and that we've all got smartphones and we've all are dealing with, you know, battling technology addiction and everything like that. But to really break free, to really develop that healthy a relationship with technology and to have that clarity of vision for, like you said, a better yes, which I love. 
we need to tap into the spiritual truth of why were we created? What is our purpose here? If we don't have a purpose here, if it doesn't matter, then why, who cares if we're just looking at a device all day long? But if we have a higher purpose and something more meaningful, which I think a lot of people sense, then it makes sense that we would want to connect with that source when we're trying to develop healthier habits in our life. So I love that you highlight that. I think it's something that um, a lot of people would agree with. And um, just kind of on that note, you know, you talk about neuroscience and everything in terms of how we can develop new habits. And this is something that well, we're learning more and more about, about how pathways are created in our brain and new habits are formed. But is there kind of some ancient wisdom there that's being backed up by, you know, modern scientific discoveries? Is there, you know, biblical truth that points to the same practices that you found? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we are learning a lot um, in terms of the details about how the brain works. And, um, and, and, but what they what we continue to find is that these, these truths are just confirming what, what we've already learned in, uh, ancient uh, wisdom, especially in the Bible, as a Christian, right? So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I I see the idea. That there's so much in the Bible that talks about what we do constantly. What are our habits? Mm-hmm. So, so things like um, Hebrews five fourteen is one of the really good ones. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That idea of constant practice is the Greek word hexis, which is actually literally the word habit in Greek. So, so the idea of having constant practice, what we constantly do all the time, uh, it shapes us and causes us to become, in this case, mature, what we want to be. Um, Romans 12.2 is one that everybody, most Christians would know um, by heart. We're not to be conformed or, or shaped by the world, the world system, the, the ideas of, of kind of outside of the Christian world, but we're to be transformed by renewing our minds. And we do that by forming positive habits. So, um, so yes, definitely. There's tons of things like that. When I think about, um, in the old Testament, there's a constant refrain of, uh, things like Psalm one that talks about your delight being in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. Um, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. These ideas, are, um, are, are huge. They're, they're what we constantly do. Uh, and, and <laughs> kind of going back to some of the, the things that people did with their children, um, there, you know, w- when you were, um, you know, way back before screens and when the discipleship of, uh, of like young Jewish, uh, kids, uh, learning the old Testament, I mean, it wasn't unusual for kids to memorize the entire first five books of the Bible mm-hmm. by the time they were ready for their their bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah at age 13. Oh. Right. So, so, so you talk about the immersion in the scriptures that that would be because, and why do they do that? Because they knew that what is, what you fill yourself up with is what's going to come out. Yeah. And so those practices of what we constantly do all the time are definitely a huge part uh, of, of biblical wisdom. Yeah. And that brings us full circle back to the fruit. What you fill yourself up with is, you know, that is going to bear fruit in your life. And so, what kind of fruit are you bearing and what influence does your relationship with screens have on that fruit? And I love that we have asked this question and 
so many more. Uh, we've had such a great conversation with Doug Smith, the author of Unintentional, How Screens Are Secretly Shaping Your Desires and How You Can Break Free. We will have a link to his book and um, other resources mentioned at knowwhypodcast.com so that you can look that up and um, read more about it for yourself. But before we wrap up today, Doug, anything else you'd like to add? I think I would just like to, to add by giving people hope and um, the idea that, I mean, we can obviously talk about these things and again, it feels overwhelming, um, the, the, especially the mental health issues. And I just want to let people know that there is a way to walk in freedom uh, in a screen saturated world and uh, that it's available and that um, there, there are my book and there's other books out there that, um, that will help you and uh, that you can do it. And your family can do it. And if you're a parent, I just want to give you hope for your kids. Like you can lead your kids in a better way and, um, and they will thank you for it. And so I want to encourage, you know, parents out there also to carve out a, a countercultural way. And I, and I talk a lot about that in my book too. So just, I wouldn't want to leave our listeners with hope today that there, that there's a good and better way and that they're worth, uh, they're worth it to find it out. Wow, such such great advice and, and wisdom. And I love that message. Thank you again, Doug, for being with us today. And thank you for listening to the Know Why podcast. We'll see you on the next episode.